you are dealing with people's bodies in a totally different way. What's going to start to happen when you've done enough of this is that you are going to account for the anatomy that you now understand, the physiology that you now understand. You're going to make these changes that Dr. Sean is talking about. And what's going to start to happen is that you're going to start racking your brain for what to do around this. You're going to start to understand this is why they're moving the way they're moving. And this is how I can start to change this. What you're then going to do is maybe go back to the clinician who may or not have an extensive exercise science background or who may or may not work with athletes or members in general. And you're going to say, hey, remember that thing she was dealing with or that this, my client had the same thing. I did this with them and they moved pain-free for the first time. You might teach the clinician something. At Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym. Everybody starts with the best case scenario in mind. Never sell anything to anybody who is not in the market for what you have. The only reason we work out is to create the opportunity to recover. And the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. And this is why you guys need to get paid well, because what you're doing is really, really hard work. What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to Turning Pro on the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastooch. I'm your host today. I'm joined by Larry Geyer. Hello, everyone. And we are taking a three-part series starting today. Today is going to be part one. And over the course of the next two weeks, you'll get parts two and part three. And we are going to break down how to acquire the necessary skills to become a professional coach. The feedback from the last two podcasts where we talked about professional coaching has been amazing. So please keep sending the DMs. Keep sharing the podcasts in your story. And remember that if you're interested in moving further along and gaining skills from us, the seminar is back. Our seminar is back. No hazmat suit, no mask, none of that nonsense. It's online. It's coming to your house, but the opposite of the boring live stream where you make a comment and you lose it 50 comments in a row float by on the right side of the screen and you forgot what you even asked and someone answers and was it you? Was it your question? Someone else's question? No. We are pumping a live stream into a Zoom call so that you're going to be able to speak with the presenters in real time. You don't need to fly anywhere. You don't need to drive anywhere. Just show up at your gym, show up at your house, have your computer ready to go. It's going to feel like you're in the room. When you ask a question, our presenters are going to hear it and they're going to be able to stop and respond to you. We will also have moderators inside of the chat should you want to ask your question privately and not have it answered publicly in front of everybody. If you're interested, shoot us a DM at Active Life Professional and we'll get you moving from there. So today, part one of three in the skill acquisition necessary to become a professional coach. And of course, the reason why Larry is here is because I believe that he exemplifies what the professional coach is. So Larry, why don't you give them the three general categories that you've thought of that are needed to be in place for someone to be considered a professional coach? Sure. Uh, no particular order. The first one is definitely, as most would obviously say, the assessment and corrective protocols necessary to effectively move someone towards their goals. Right? So when I hear corrective, I would love for you to, to, to go a little bit deeper into that. Are you talking about being able to help people out of pain or is it any corrective for any problem? Either. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe that all 
exercise should be moving people in the direction. All, all exercise is correcting for something that wants to move you to whatever state of higher performance you want, whether that's being able to put your arm overhead without pain or that's being able to throw a baseball five miles per hour faster. You're correcting for the fact that you can't currently throw it fast enough. Love it. Okay. So the second one is communication skills and specifically empathy as a category in and of itself that you need to go all in on. If you are unable to effectively talk about and emotionally move people and be sensitive to people's emotional states, you're not going to enroll anyone. Uh, you could have the sharpest toolbox in the world. And I know countless coaches who have been absolutely phenomenal and did not have the vocabulary or the confidence or the emotional intelligence to talk about themselves to other people who needed them. So consequently they end up with no roster and they have to go work construction with their dads or whatever it is. The third category is business skills uh, and sales skills. And I think that's probably the most underrated and overlooked category for most fitness professionals. They think that if they get the skills and they put in the time, um, their roster is going to fill up and they're going to be able to be financially free. And it doesn't happen like that for any professional that's not intentional about becoming financially literate and what the numbers need to be and where they need to go. It's not necessarily the sexy stuff for you. Um, I'm not a huge fan of filling out spreadsheets, but I certainly understand that if I understand where numbers need to go, that I'm going to be okay. And that allows me to do the things that I love to do, like take my girlfriend on vacations to hike and buy another surfboard. That's going to allow me to have more fun or whatever the thing is. So it's not about the numbers for its own sake. It's about making sure that you can actually work your ass off so that you can play or do whatever you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to dive into category one, which is accumulating the hard skills of assessment and correction for whatever it is that your client needs you to assess and correct. Larry talked about it when he was doing the intro of the category. <clears throat> A correction just means we're training your body to do something better than it currently does. That's correction. We're not describing strictly musculoskeletal pain, which is what we are world-renowned for teaching people. We're talking about anything that you want to be able to learn starts with assessment and ends with correction of the problem that somebody has. Yeah, if you're a wrestler and you need to suplex someone more effectively, we need to figure out how to correct for what you're doing ineffectively in your suplex. Correct. So... Where did you start making moves to go from being a hobbyist journeyman coach to professional coach as it pertains to skill acquisition around assessment and correction, Larry? So there's the little stuff and there's the big stuff that I want to cut straight to the, the root of and make sure that everyone understands that under no uncertain terms, I think is essential for every single fitness professional. I'll start with the, the dabbling. Every single time that I ran into the wall of wanting to move someone in the direction that we both agreed on, and I couldn't because something was getting in the way, I got frustrated. I hate running into the brick wall. Can you, can you make that brick wall a little bit more tangible? Absolutely. So um, I'm working on someone's aerobic capacity because they have to lose 75 pounds and I need to build them a base and just get them moving. This is like early days, right? Like any textbook, any ba personal training one-on-one, build someone's aerobic base. And 
they can't do two of the three movements that I'm having them doing because of their knee pain. Well, shit. First, it's all right. Well, how do I not look awkward and tense and weird and come up with two other movements on the fly that I think they can do and not seem too weird. But the second thing is, but they really should do those other movements because those other movements, like every single human in the world needs to be able to run. I need to be able to have this person start to work towards a jog or a trot and then a run eventually. They need to be able to do that. Every single time I run into the brick wall of, I would love to do that, but this hurts. <laughs> or I would love to do that, but this just doesn't move that way. I freaking want to pull my hair out. I hate the idea of having best intentions and perfect clarity on the goal, perfect path, and then there's a boulder in the middle of the road. I hate that. So that was the first time that I started to realize, well, I need to be able to solve some more shit because I'm not putting up with this anymore, mm-hmm. right? The bigger thing, the go for the juggler thing that I want to make sure all coaches understand. And if this wasn't certain to anyone, I'm going to be perfectly clear because you've, a lot of coaches have asked me and, and you've talked to a lot of coaches around, Larry's not a clinician. Larry's one of two non-doctors on staff. I was the only non-doctor on staff for a long time. And it was, well, how does Larry do that? I want to make sure you guys understand a huge, huge part of what allow me to be put in that position so quickly in my career was the fact, Dr. Sean, that I shadowed in your clinic. And I think it is absolutely essential that every single coach, irrespective of whether or not you want to add three miles an hour to someone's sprint, 100 pounds to someone's lift, or allow people to move without pain because you want to improve their joint health, whether that's building tendons or that's improving range of motion, whatever it is, it is imperative that you dedicate at least six months shadowing with a clinician, whether a chiro or a PT or even an athletic trainer, someone who understands the musculoskeletal system at a categorically higher level than you do. Not so that you can learn how to diagnose your patients because you are never going to diagnose your patients, your clients rather. You're never going to do that. You don't diagnose and you don't treat. That's not what you're doing. You're not doing it to learn how to tell people that they probably have a sciatic nerve issue. That's not what you're going to learn how to do. What you are going to learn how to do is take fantastic intake, listen to people about what's going on. You're going to learn how to talk to them about their current limitations in such a way they understand exactly how they're going to get out of them and what they can expect. You are going to understand how the body works in a way that you never, that you might never otherwise. You are going to understand how the body works in a way that you can actually watch happen in real time and watch a clinician solve in real time. Without these skills, you can certainly put yourself in the same position of efficacy but it's going to take longer. And this will absolutely catapult you there without cutting corners and without skipping steps. So, okay. So, so what we're talking about right now is somebody who would specifically be interested in learning how to write exercise based on assessment to help their clients alleviate aches and pains. If we're talking about going into a chiropractor or a physical therapist's office, not even, and I'll tell you guys why I understand why it could be like that, but not even if you want to add, if you want strict performance, if you want to strictly coach performance, it makes you even more valuable not to be the person who can correct for those musculoskeletal dysfunctions, but to have a more acute understanding of what they could be 
so that you know the direction to send them and exactly the kind of thing they should be looking for from someone. So what you're saying is essentially defining your scope by understanding what it's not extremely clear. That's exactly right. Okay, that's interesting. So you also mentioned six months. How did you come up with six months? Is it six months, five hours a day? Is it eight hours a day? Is it an hour a day? Is it one hour a week? What What is six months of what? I would recommend, so So when I did it with you, what was it? We were like, we were nine when to you, 12. When you did it with me, you stopped me in the coffee shop and essentially I'll cut the whole story short. You said, I just want to come in on Fridays from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock for eight weeks and I'll be out of your life forever thereafter. And that was in 2016. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad that it didn't work out the way that you described, but your plan was two hours a week. You ended up spending far more than that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I was hungry for it. Right. But and what the two hours did with the two hours, this isn't something that you owe anyone, right? Like this isn't a part of an obligation for you to get through a program. I'm not telling you guys to do this and like do it begrudgingly and get it done. You're not, the, the Cairo is not getting anything from having to answer your questions, right? I mean, maybe they're improving their ability to teach. They might enjoy having a mentor. It might be a better look for them in the clinic and they might even get referrals. There are some positives for both of you guys. The point is that you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you to better understand how you're going to be able to understand how your clients joints are moving at the very least to have a deeper understanding of what is happening at the joint level for your client. So you could start to understand these pieces and talk to them about how the body works, not necessarily in such a way that you're going to treat outside your scope, but for the client who's interested, if you to be able to say, well, this is what happens here. And this is why we would want to maybe avoid that. When your hip moves through this range of motion, depending on how your hip is shaped, this might be something we're running into. So I want to make sure we can avoid that. Well, and I, and I also want to add to that, that despite the fact that you're not doing it for the doctor, you do need to figure out what's in it for the doctor. Correct. Otherwise, why would they want you in their space? It's just more work. For so them. that's something I definitely didn't do a good job of from the beginning. I was just like, please take me. Can you go ahead well, and say what they should do? What you did <clears throat> to, to, to stay there for a moment was you asked me if you could shadow. I said, no. I said, read this book. And you read the book and one of the chapters in the book talked about find someone who you want to learn from and shadow them and make their life easier, bring them value. So you were like, I read the book and in the book it said to do this. So here's what I'm willing to do to come into your office every Friday from eleven from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock. Before that, it was just, I want to come shadow you. Like, I, don't, I don't fucking think about this, man. Then you read the book and you came back to me with, um, and it was, the book was called The Cell by Frederick Eklund, by the way. It was just the most recent book I'd read. I think it was fine. It's not a great book. It's, it's it fine. Was, it was all right. Right. So, but one of the chapters was mentoring and you came back with a plan. I'll be there from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock. I'll clean the office. I'll take out the trash. I'll sort the papers. I'll do whatever's necessary. I'll take out your garbage. You won't even know I'm there. Okay. That was, that was what you came back with. You did, you did what I asked you to do first and foremost. You did it quickly. And then you suggested ways that you could be a value add in the clinic. It wasn't big value, right? It wasn't right. like, oh, thank God, someone to take out the trash, <laughs> which in the chiropractic <laughs> office is basically face paper. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even throw out the garbage bag. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you had a plan. So, so the point is, don't bring a situation, don't add yourself to their plate as another thing they have to deal with. Correct. Bring, create energy in their environment and create ease in their environment whatever you're doing. If you want, if you, if you, if they have to fill boxes in with a check mark with a pencil on their intake form and they trust you to do it, so you, whatever it is, make it so that they spend less energy doing their job. So they end up with more energy per minute, per 15 minute block that they work in. 
than they would otherwise have without you. Yeah, and be organized about it. Think mm -hmm. about ways that you can maximize the impact that you have both for the person you're working with and for yourself in the least amount of time. So what I mean by that is instead of asking somebody questions all through the shift, maybe there's a 15-minute block at the end of your, your, your shadowing day where you've written down your five most Correct. important questions or your three most important questions. And all day long, you're looking at, I have all these questions. Well, which of the three most important? This one comes mm -hmm. off. Which of the three most, oh, this one comes off. And you'll be left with the most important questions that move the needle in the right direction. Correct. And the doctor's just like, oh, three questions a day. No big deal. I got and I'm going to tell you exactly how I, how I did it. So I want you guys to write these things down. I had a booklet and I did the same thing for every single patient that came in. You were going to write down the name of the patient. You were going to write down their chief complaint, chief complaint, why they came in there in the first place. Chief complaint might change over time. What's the chief complaint of the little period that they're being treated for right now? What they're presenting with. So typically, if they're worth their weight, clinicians are measuring, are using a system whereby they are measuring, just like we do, their, with their assessment, what people are coming in as. Well, their chief complaint is this at the knee. They're this joint moves like this. They're this joint moves like this. They're this joint moves like this. This is where they're at right now. Then you are going to measure what the treatment was. What did the clinician do with that information that they got from the chief complaint in the assessment they used? Then what was the outcome after the assessment? I'm sorry, after the correction. So what did they come in with? What did the clinician do? What did they leave with? And finally, what is the clinician's advice, prognosis for going forward? whether there are no more visits or between the next visit. What's the thing to do? Go ahead. You want to say something? I was going to say that a really good clinician also measures the patient on their next visit and compares it to how they left right, right, right. and how they came in on the previous visit to ensure that the progress that they've made is still somewhere between how they came in last time and how they left last time. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to, you're going to start ending up with, you're going to start with super, super basic questions. Just like, why did you do that? Right. After you've seen, 30 of the same kind of, cause guess what? Humans are all basically the same. We mm -hmm. all come in with the same, very predictable issues that you're going to start to see. So after your 30th, 40th patient visit, someone's going to come in and you're going to immediately be like, Hmm, I bet you it's either this, this or this. And maybe two out of three times you're actually right. So then you can start to say when the clinic, the clinician did something differently, why didn't you treat for this? And the clinician's going to say, well, this is actually one of those situations where this wasn't the problem at all. And it was actually this instead. And your, your, your knowledge of how the body works is going to get so deep that even if you're not using it with manual therapy or a diagnosis the way the clinician would, it is going to carry over into your sessions in a huge way. So you said six months. How often during the week? How long each day for six months? I don't think that you can be taking this seriously fewer than three hours a week. Okay. So three hours a week, I think is appropriate. I also think that it, the reason why three hours a week is appropriate and why six months is appropriate is because it's it's the it's the rewiring that happens in the time between the yes. three hour sessions that you go in. Exactly. It's you saw this, now you go back and work with your clients and you're just looking for similar things. You're not telling them like, oh, I think you have a labrum tear. Like that's not what you're doing. But you're you're extrapolating. I saw this here. The doctor described it as this. I'm now in my practice with my client and I'm seeing the same thing. I wonder if I make a modification to what they're doing to account for the anatomy that the doctor said was damaged over yes. there for that person, if that would change the way that they move. Holy shit. 
That squat looks so much better with that one little change. Dude. You just made my life changing results for a client because you spent three hours in a clinic. Dude, when you have a moment like that for the first time, it is going to blow your fucking lid off. Yes. And, and for me, that was the moment. Well, that was one of the moments where I was like, I'm all in on this. Mm -hmm. And for the, for the record, I did the exact same thing as a personal trainer at Equinox. I was fortunate there was a physical therapy suite upstairs. I would go upstairs to physical therapy every week and watch how they treated patients. Okay. So here's the other thing that I want to make sure. Not only are you going to take away so much from the clinician, but the, you are not. You are doing something that the clinician is not doing all day long. The clinician is doing something all day long, dealing with people's bodies in a very, very specific way. You are dealing with people's bodies in a totally different way. What's going to start to happen when you've done enough of this is that you are going to account for the anatomy that you now understand and the physiology that you now understand. You're going to make these changes that Dr. Sean is talking about. And what's going to start to happen is that you're going to start racking your brain for what to do around this. You're going to start to understand this is why they're moving the way they're moving. And this is how I can start to change this. What you're then going to do is maybe go back to the clinician who may or not have an extensive exercise science background or who may or may not work with athletes or members in general. And you're going to say, hey, remember that thing she was dealing with or that this, my client had the same thing. I did this with them and they moved pain-free for the first time. You might teach the clinician something, mm -hmm. which is going to build in a massive amount of trust with the clinician, which means that you now have a clinician as a referral source for new clients. Just be careful how you do that. You don't want to go into the clinician's office and expect that they don't know what they're doing and that you're going to teach them something. It's go in and say, I learned this in the clinic. I tried it like this in my scope in the gym and you're never going to believe what happened. Have you ever heard of that before? Have you ever seen that before? That is how you can go teaching somebody who you're supposed to be learning from without encroaching on their ego. Right. They'll either say, um, yeah, I mean, I see that all the time. That makes perfect sense that it did. I'm glad that worked for you. Or, dude, I haven't. That's really, really cool, but that makes sense. Right. So to, to, to set the, the record straight here, yes, 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 yes. We are suggesting that you spend time in a clinician's office learning what they're doing all day long so that you can understand what their patients are presenting with so that you can become a sharper coach. Yes, but I don't have to. Yes, you do. You have three hours a week. Go, go use it. So the next question that we typically get from people around this is, or the, the problem that this runs into is a lot of potentially unconscious incompetence. And what I mean by that, Larry, is you spend a lot of time in the clinical environment and you start to feel like you know things, but you're really not rock solid on them. You know, it's you start to recognize patterns, but the way that you try to correct them in your clinic, in your clinic as the, as the, as the coach is, which is the gym, by the way, is not always effective. It's not a hundred percent. It's not even 80%. You're like, Oh, it didn't work. I wonder why that is. So what's the next step that somebody can do once they've gotten to the place that they're like, okay, I think I can spot the trends. I think I can see the patterns, but I'm not clear on what I would do next every single time. So first of all, it's, it's, you should constantly be looking into and understanding and cross-referencing information that comes out. And there's a ton of different information, but you're going to start to see patterns. You're going to start to see common themes in this industry. And then you're going to see huge outliers. And I suggest that you move into that and you lean into what other people are doing that are radically different and figure out what kind of merit there is there. Either way, once you understand the kind of information, the kind of problems you're wanting to solve more, it's seeking out sources of education that are deep diving into these things so that you can actually have clear answers 
and hard skills that you can apply to your clients in real time, session to session, mm-hmm. right? Whether, whether that's uh, an online course or a seminar that you're going to, it's learning what are the real solutions and a real practical, applicable skills I can acquire and use on the floor with my clients so that I can actually get around that boulder in the middle of the road that I was talking about. Yeah, so I look at mentorship uh, in the form of shadowing as very much a passive way to gain education. It's, it's active, but it's not, uh, it's not curated. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. You're, so, you're sponging, if that's it, right? Yeah, you're, I shouldn't have said passive. That's the wrong word. It's active learning, but it's, it's, you're basically opening a book to a random page every day. And trying to get a feel for what the book is about. Well, because you're not creating the solution and making the decisions. Right. right? And, you're not, and you're not being taught how the decisions are made from the very beginning. You don't have all the information. Like right. I said, it's, you grab a book, you open it to a random page. You might figure out that it's about the ocean, but it might just be that there's somebody on a boat crossing the ocean. They talked about the ocean on the page that you opened. So right. it's, it's part of the picture. This is where diving deep into coursework and finding professionals who are delivering the education that you want really ties those pieces together. So shameless plug, we're the best in the world at teaching people how to identify and correct for movement impairments in their clients in the gym so that a coach can go from being a hobbyist or an everyday coach to an absolute crushing professional coach. And it starts in our immersion course and it carries forward into what is called the pro coach, which we're currently in beta testing on multiple phases of, it'll be out soon. But the reason why courses like our immersion course and like our pro coach will be are so valuable to people in the industry is because it's, it, it takes away all of the, what page am I on? What book am I reading? Can you speak to how specific information delivered in a curated course was valuable for you? And I want to be clear about this. Yes, if you want to learn how to help people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym and expand your scope to help clients in the gym, you should take our seminar and you should take our immersion course. And then you should decide if you want to take our pro coach. If you're not interested in either of those things, if you're just like, no, I want to work with professional athletes on their ability to to run faster. I want to work with CrossFitters who are trying to go to the CrossFit games. There are better courses to take. You could be looking into things like the OPEC CCP. You should be going and getting your your CSCS. You can be going back to a college and getting potentially an exercise science master's. There's a lot of different places that you can go. So I'm not, I want to be clear that we're not using this podcast as a funnel to drive you directly into our course only. There's a lot of other resources, but we do want you getting into coursework. So can you please yeah. speak to how that helped you? I mean, look, for those of you who are still like, nah, I hear that. I mean, this, this really is stuff that I like to do. I follow your stuff. I've applied it. It's awesome. Look, you were a former clinic. You were a former clinician, right? And me, yeah. Yeah. You were a former clinician and I am not. I'm a personal trainer. That's it. Personal trainer. The really cool thing is when I ask Dr. Ray on our staff, how many clinicians are on staff? I don't even know anymore. 22, 20, something 22. Like that. 22 of our, what, 30-ish Staff members are 40, 40 staff members are clinicians. Okay. But, but we're, we're, we're convoluting a little bit. The, the staff members who Larry is describing are the ones who coach our one-on-one clients. Mm -hmm. We have many staff members who help people sign up, who make sure people are happy, who give education courses, who are not doctors. The ones who do give the immersion courses are doctors. Not, not if it's in the gym side. 
Oh, that's a good call. So either way, we have content that was distilled down from clinicians, okay? And all of whom have an extensive background in exercise science. I am not a clinician and routinely have asked you and other people, hey, what's the value of me going and getting a, a license? The answer is always no, because you're doing, we're teaching you how to do 90, legally within your scope, responsibly within your scope, 97% of what I would do otherwise. And so the value of this kind of coursework is I can really deeply understand the fullest potential scope in which I can operate responsibly and help people in massive ways and understand the very fine line. And yes, it is a very fine line between I can and should and must solve this for this person and I must absolutely refer this person. The coursework that we give you is not only going to teach you massive skills that you can use to leverage to create serious, serious income because there are people that have been on a fucking carousel for decades spending thousands of dollars on nonsense and no one's ever been able to help them that you will now be able to help and they are going to wish that they would have just spent those tens of thousands of dollars on you. That's true. People that say that. Not only that, you are going to understand more clearly exactly the kinds of things that you cannot solve for. And that is going to increase your confidence to know exactly what you can and can't do and when it needs to be someone else. Yeah, I think that in the training world, a lot of confidence comes from what would be the next thing that you do and knowing exactly what it would be, right? So great. For example, here's a very, 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 very simple example for all of you trainers out there. Today is deadlift day. And you ask everybody in the room to reach down and try to touch the floor. How far, like with your legs extended, feet underneath your hips, please reach down as far as you comfortably can. There is somebody in the gym who is only able to touch the bottom of their kneecaps and has a little bit of low back pain. What do you do? Are you sure that that's right? Is that what the client wants? How will you measure? Earlier, Larry, you were speaking about measuring for clinicians. How will you measure if what you did this time worked? Next time. Are you right now, are you in the moment where you're like, oh, damn, I don't know. I was just going to have them lift from a surplus, lighten the load. If you're not sure, think about the confidence that you would have if you could answer all of those questions. And when somebody else who has all the degrees in the world walked into your gym and said, why are you doing that? That doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Being able to answer those questions. That's what comes from intentional coursework that includes application of the knowledge to make sure that you're understanding it. Yeah, this everything that you're describing is not reserved to clinics where coaches are relegated to not knowing and shrugging their shoulders and saying, I don't know, you take everything that's beyond the baseline Correct. stuff. This is this is stand this is this is one of what you described are the questions that a one oh one coach in the new healthcare needs to be able to do. 100%. Baseline, man. So this is all stuff, you know, assessing and measuring and making sure people are tracking in the right direction and knowing what to do next if that didn't work and understanding if not this, then this. This is all what coaches need to be doing. This is not a clinician thing. And by the way, if you're all like, that sounds like a lot. 
might not be the thing for you. Right. And that's okay. So wrap this thing in a bow. If you are not seeking out intentionally and deliberately, when I say intentionally and deliberately, if you are not seeking the exact skills that you are going to be able to apply immediately upon learning them to improve your ability to solve for what people want help with, you're wasting your time and theirs. You're wasting your financial opportunity and theirs. Know what you want to be able to solve, find the hard skills to do it, apply it, and learn. That is category one, podcast one of three about what it takes to become a professional coach. Now go apply it. Turn pro. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now. Turn pro.